1: Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active mint customers by 531.24. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events, entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy.
0: And right now, without further ado, here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, buddy, how are you? Beautiful day out there today. Sunshine, and... you know, and why is it on the days that are nice? Finally, I've got a series of appointments where I'll be indoors all day. You know, that's poor timing, Zed. Very, very <laughs> poor. So we're going to continue on with Lewis and Clark. Yeah, I'm infatuated with this.
1: Yeah, it's an it's pretty amazing. You know, did I ever ask you this
0: question? If I did, I apologize. Where were Lewis and Clark from? Well, back east. <laughs> that kind of sums it up. And
1: that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, they didn't have a clue, did they, what they were doing? Well, the only thing I can say is there were mountain men out here before them. So they may have had some ideas, but they pretty much didn't know what they were getting into. They really didn't.
0: I mean, mean, you take somebody from back east, okay? You just said back east. I don't know what state or what area. But, I mean, to make a trek all the way to the west coast. Yeah. And believe me, they didn't know Kamir from Sikkim? No. I mean,
1: they had guides, you know, but that was. Yeah, whoop de doo. Yeah. So, anyway, so. You know, as the explorers continued down the Columbia, they found that the Indians traded very carefully, but they also showed a little bit of dis, a little bit of distrust to the to the expedition. Uh, they also saw increasing evidence of trade with Europeans. By the time they reached the John Day River, they saw non-native clothing and implements from Europe uh, all over, and this was a kind of a precursor to some strained and kind of tense relations between the river Indians and the expedition members, uh, but they had a very sophisticated and far-ranging market and trade structure called the Pacific Plateau System. So, the and I didn't know this, the Chinookan-speaking traders of the area were kind of the middlemen to a trade network that stretched from the ocean, from the Pacific, to the mountains of present-day Idaho. So and I'll explain that. You'll see what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the Yakimas, the Teninos, the Umatillas, the Walulas and Nespers came downriver to trade and socialize. Those nearby brought meat, roots and berries to exchange for fish and European cloth and ironware. The Nezpers, who had access to the plains, brought skin clothing, horses, and buffalo meat, and they were mostly interested in beads and metal and European goods. So this, w- this was a middle area where people came from the west and from the east, and they met, and they traded their goods, whatever they had to trade. Mm-hmm. So the coastal Chinookans came upriver to trade in efficient, elegant, beautiful, nice canoes loaded with fish, roots, berries, and what they called the Wapato Roots, roots and the Wapato root would be pounded and made into a kind of a bread. Uh, what is it? I, I don't know. It's some kind of a root. Uh, I'm going to think, say, similar to maybe the camas, Root oh. and they pounded it and, and made it. A, sounds well, it real. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to try yeah. to find some for you. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But the European manufactured goods uh, came from fur traders and ships that occasionally came uh, by the coast. And of course, they were in great demand upriver. All the you know ironware and clothes, things like that. Uh, but they brought guns, blankets, clothing, trinkets, and uh, what they really liked may sound a little odd, but they liked blue beads. Blue? Blue beads. beads. Yes, And I guess, you know, they'd put them in their their clothes and their hair and things like that. But at the Dalles, these items were traded for dried salmon, buffalo meat, and bear grass used in making cooking baskets and uh, hats. But the Chinookans, who maintained control of the trade center, were... You love saying that. I know. Chinookans. (laughs) The Chinookans, yeah. who maintained control of the trade center, were in fact maintaining a balance of power that was reflected in the attitudes towards Lewis and Clark. They found the Indians along the stretch between Salila Falls and the Cascades to be a little bit troublesome, mm-hmm. uh, more so than those it encountered. And stealing was a little bit of a problem. Stealing? Yeah, the, the Indians would steal from. Lewis and Clark. Uh, The Indian tribes didn't consider that bad, did they? No, and I'm going to explain that. Uh, The traders of the Columbia had long held control and expected tribute from others that came to trade. So while the members of the expedition gave token gifts and traded, the Indians had helped them to avoid disaster in the rapids. So... Pilfering a few items from the explorers. Pilfering. Pilfering. Yes, I like that word. Was a a way to remind uh, the respect must be paid to the powerful middlemen of the Pacific Plateau system. So it was kind of a payback, so to speak. I see. So they were. Pilfering Chinookans. Yes. But, however, (laughs) they were not a thieving culture. Oh. they 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 were not so i don't want to give that misinterpretation but because stacks of valuable fish were left in the villages and nobody ever would steal those so i wouldn't no <laughs> so <laughs> but considering the language and the barriers cultural barriers it's not surprising that surprising that there would be some misunderstandings but anyway, it took nine grueling days for the Corps to make their way through and around rapids from Salilo Falls to the Cascades and getting through the Cascades took another two days. In three more days they passed Beacon Rock. The Indians knew it marked the last of the rapids on the Columbia and the beginning of what we call the tidal influence from the ocean, where the tide would come clear up that way. Oh my. 150 miles downriver. Really? The, the tide would affect things that, that far upriver. Of course, that was before the dams too but the river was getting wider the weather was damp and cold at times you couldn't see anybody fifty feet in front of you and november 3rd uh this is what one of the guys wrote in his journal quote towards evening we met several indians in a canoe who were going to the river going up the river they signed to us that in two sleeps we would see the ocean vessels and white people And uh, Clark reported that, uh, quote, they informed us they saw three vessels below. So this episode is brought to you by
0: Reese's peanut butter cups In breaking news. Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
1: At this point, do you think they imagined a nice beach and, you know, comfort and, you know, stuff like that just around the corner? Yeah, Yeah. wind surfers and girls in
0: bikinis. and. But
1: just around the corner, uh, it uh, was just more trouble. Oh. So the relations with the Indians had been tense at times, but on November 1805, near the mouth of the Willamette River, things got a little worse. Members of a large Skalutz village were invited into camp, and this proved to be a mistake when the heavily armed warriors became, quote, assuming and disagreeable taking items they wanted, including Clark's highly prized ceremonial pipe tomahawk. Uh-oh. The court took to the river and stayed for an hour under cover of darkness so they wouldn't have any more trouble, and they learned a lesson about inviting certain groups into camp. Did he ever get his pipe back? No. Uh-uh. Oh, my. So the Chinookan-speaking Skalutes... I love that word. ...were secondary middlemen along this western arm of the large Pacific Plateau trade network, and they occupied both sides of the Columbia, from Vancouver, Washington, over to Portland, and... Uh, they may have been a little bit aggressive because they didn't want to lose their uh, position as traders. They were what was like I say they were like the middlemen, and they yeah. didn't they didn't want these uh, this Lewis and Clark and those guys to get in on their what they had going for. Them. Were Lewis and Clark the boss? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Okay, you know, they ran things. Okay. So the trade jargon spoken contained some English words and phrases brought upriver by coastal Indians who traded with passing ships. Over the next few days, the Corps continued to paddle downriver, and more reports came that the ocean was only... A few sleeps away. So they were basically in the Columbia Gorge, right? Yeah, they're they're headed down. They're a lot further closer to the ocean by now. Okay. They're past Hood River. Yes, I believe so. Okay, So one English-speaking Indian that uh, traded with a guy named Mr. Haley, and he was now at the mouth of the Columbia, and more and more European goods appeared in the homes and on the backs of the Indians. In fact, one guy was wearing a blue sailor jacket, but... So here they go. You know, they're getting close. They're getting anxious. Yeah. They paddled as fast as they could. They camped 32 miles downriver near a place called Pillar Rock on the northern shore of the Columbia in present-day Washington. That evening, again, Clark reflected the happiness they must have felt when he wrote, quote, Great joy in camp. We are in view of the ocean. Uh. This great Pacific Ocean, which we have been so long anxious to see. Well, they deserved to see the ocean, and they were very happy paddling and walking and riding horseback, for now they figure 4,000 miles over a period of 19 months. Unfortunately, they were looking at Gray's Bay, and the Pacific was still 20 miles away. Oh, no. They thought they were seeing the ocean. They weren't. Darn. So 20 miles away, they got to the Pacific, and the situation was still pretty bad. I mean, uh, Clark says for two weeks they had storms. He described as, quote, tempestuous and horrible. On November eighth, uh, the party continued westward along the shore and entered Gray's Bay, where they faced these really strong offshore storms. They carried strong swells, and you've heard of crossing the crossing the bar. Yeah, you know the Columbia River Bar out there is a really difficult place for ships to come in through. Yeah. Th- those huge waves. That so y- even that far upriver, you were getting some pretty bad. Waves and, did they
0: and, make a deal with any of the tribes to get horses? You mentioned that a minute ago. Where did they get the horses?
1: Well, they traded with the nespers uh, but the Corps did not get any horses at this time. They were still going by a canoe. I see. So they were forced to camp in uh, an area between the high and the low tides. Uh, they were trapped for four or five days. They were wet. They were hungry. And by now, their dugout canoes proved to be kind of useless. Uh, And in the night, the high tide would just come in, huge driftwood logs, some 200 feet long. Oh, my goodness. Thrown up on the shore. And here they are camping, you know. So it was a solution or a situation with no good solution. It was dangerous uh, to stay and too hazardous to take to the water. They couldn't go out on on the river by now. Wow. So the next day, Clark noted in his journal, quote, at this dismal point, we must spend another night as the wind and waves are too high to proceed. Now, by now, they're closed. They're, they're wet. They're rotten away. Snow was coming. It was, you know, it was November. Oh, my. They needed to hunt uh, elk for skins and food. They were in a pretty precarious situation. How many were there? Uh, 33, I believe. I see. Yeah. Well, Clark concluded correctly that they had traveled as far as they could by water. There was a sergeant uh, that said, quote, we are now at the end of our voyage. And so they did get to the ocean, and Clark set out to explore. And he and 11 others trekked for two and a half days, and they climbed the headlands of a place called Cape Disappointment. And I've, I think I've been there. It's right along really? the Oregon coast, yeah. Oh. And they saw, the, they saw the ocean. that They were there. So, Lewis set the pace by blazing his name on a tree with this branding iron, and others did the same thing. They planted a flag and staked their claim. Now, keep in mind, they were beyond the boundaries of the Louisiana Purchase. That only went to the Rocky Mountains. So, both the United States and Britain had staked claims to the Northwest, And both claims were kind of weak, but by cutting their initials and a message into a tree and planting a flag, they marked new territory for the United States. Really? So this was kind of the beginning of... It could have been maybe some conflict, you know. Mm -hmm. But the next day, a vote was conducted to decide what to do next. The captains were gathered the party, and they asked the group to make a decision whether to move to the South Shore, where they knew they could hunt elk and have a winter camp, or to return upriver. Why was the North Shore? Didn't they have wildlife on the North Shore? Well, that's a good question, and I don't know why there would be a difference. You would think it would be the same on both sides, right? But the, and I thought it was interesting that they took a vote of the members of the Corps. And the vote was to move to the South Shore, where, which of course is present day Oregon. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, The 33 individuals of the Corps of Discovery were facing a wet, miserable, isolated winter together there at Fort Clatsop. You make it sound so good. Well, you've been over there.
0: (laughs) When it's cold and chilly over there and damp and rain.
1: I don't want to be anywhere but away from You know, and and my daughter lived over in uh, Portland for a while, and they get those winter ice storms. Oh, yes. You know, you can't even go out on the roads. No. And that's what they were facing. So, but on the way down river, the Corps passed, uh, before they got to the ocean, they passed a a place called Savi Island that hid the mouth of the Willamette River from their view. They had purchased and enjoyed Wapato along the lower Columbia, and Clark called the island Wapato Island because of the many Wapato growing there. You asked about this? It was described as having an agreeable taste and, quote, answers well in place of bread. Wapato contributed to the diets of Indians downriver, just as I mentioned, as camas bulbs did for the Indians. And you eat it, here. pull it out of the ground and eat it? Well, let me explain how that happens. Oh. <laughs> it's a little more difficult. Oh, okay. So Lewis described this 20-mile-long Wapato Island and the importance of the root as a food source to the neighboring Indians. So Wapato grew in ponds on this island, in the pond. This bulb was a staple article of commerce along the river and grows beneath the mud. And here's what he said, quote, It is never out of season, so that all times of the year the valley is frequented by neighboring Indians who come to gather it. It is collected chiefly by the women who employ canoes from 10 to 14 feet in length, about 2 feet wide, and 9 inches deep. Now, this is, again, how he describes it. Mm -hmm. He says... They are sufficient to contain a single person, these little canoes, and several bush, bushes of roots, yet so very light that a woman can carry them with ease. She takes one of these canoes into a pond where the water is as high as her chest, and by means of her toes separates the separates from the root this bulb, which on being freed from the mud rises immediately to the surface of the water and is thrown into the canoe. So they're feeling with their toes this Root. Oh, good. And they break it loose with their toes. With their toes? And it floats to the surface, and they gather it up, and they put it into their canoe. Uh huh. And in this manner, these uh, very patient uh, Indian women remain in the water for several hours, even in the wintertime, because you can gather this year round.
0: Holy swan. Would you tell your wife to go stand in the Snake River for 2
1: hours? No, I didn't think so.
0: And there'd be ice on the river anyway, so There'd be a lot of ice someplace, I'll tell so you that. So
1: that's the that's the wapato which I'd never heard of before, but What know, did it look like? I don't even know. Oh. Um but, it again, it, it was similar to the Camas, like not too far from here, the Camas Prairie, okay. you know, where uh, the Indians gathered that, which was a food staple when they would rent out of Pemmican uh, or uh, whatever else they had. it be. So that's Lewis and Clark to the Fort Clatsop. And uh, we can do one more session.
0: I have a question right there. You said there were 33 members of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Yes. What were these guys uh, paid? I mean, that would give them the incentive to bear the elements like they did. And they had to be some kind of a promise uh, or light at the end of the tunnel financially.
1: Yeah. And I... I would have to research that to see, but i I, I know they were paid i just don 't know how much, and you know if it 's something that was pretty pretty desirable, you know enough to make them keep going. You know, and here's Sacagawea with her baby. And, you know, and how much did they get paid? So because if somebody came up to you today and they said,
0: Dr. History, why don't you go 1900 miles into the wilderness wilderness for Four thousand, four thousand 4,000 miles into the wilderness. And there's no guarantee that you're going to have food. You're going to have shelter that we're going to end up alive. I mean. There better be some incentive there. Well, and
1: look at what, how they started, you know, uh, over there in Independence, heading up. That's in, where they started? Yeah. Okay. So up the Missouri, you know, to as far as they could go, and then thinking, okay, well, the ocean's not too far away, and then they see the mountains, the Rocky yeah. Mountains. Yeah. And we've got to go through that.
0: Real quick, what happened to Lewis and Clark after their
1: expedition? Real quick. I, I'm, I hate to say, but I'm. I believe one of them committed suicide. Really? I... That's what sticks in my mind, and I may be wrong on that, but one of them also took Sacagawea's son, uh, uh, Jean-Baptiste Charbonneau, and took him and kept him and sent him to Europe, where he learned different languages and stayed with some of the royalty over there. So uh, one of them, I can't remember, was Lewis or Clark that uh, kind of adopted him, because Sacagawea ended up dying. She went back to her village and, and died at a... I think a very young age. Did she go back by herself? Well, they all traveled together back. I see. They, uh, like, so they, Can you imagine that trek going back? Yeah, that had to be just as bad. Uh, I would, well, maybe just as bad. Oh, my god. But at least but when they got to the Missouri, they could go downriver. You know, that would have been uh, a much faster and, and a lot easier. Wow. So, it's amazing. Yeah. But I, it's amazing. You know, if if you don't mind, I'll continue next week with our last session about um, the winter they passed at Fort Clatsop. And then find out about what happened to them. Okay. I'll Please. do that. I'd appreciate
0: yes. that. Yes.